them, the book of James, the second chapter, hear these words of wisdom. My brothers and sisters, when you show favoritism, you deny the faithfulness of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has been resurrected in glory. Imagine two people coming into your meeting. One has a gold ring and fine clothes, while the other is poor, dressed in filthy rags. Then suppose that you were to take special notice of the one wearing fine clothes, saying, here's an excellent place, sit here. But to the poor person you say, stand over there, or here, sit at my feet. Wouldn't you have shown favoritism among yourselves and become evil-minded judges? My dear brothers and sisters, listen. Hasn't God chosen those who are poor in worldly standards to be rich in terms of faith? Hasn't God chosen the poor as heirs of the kingdom he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Don't the wealthy make life difficult for you? Aren't they the ones who drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who insult the good name spoken over you at your baptism? You do well when you really fulfill the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. But when you show favoritism, you are committing a sin, and by that same law you are exposed as a lawbreaker. Anyone who tries to keep all the law but fails at one point is guilty of failing to keep all of it. The one who said don't commit adultery also said don't commit murder. So if you don't commit adultery but you do commit murder, you are a lawbreaker. In every way, then, speak and act as people who will be judged by the law of freedom. There will be no mercy in judgment for anyone who hasn't shown mercy. Mercy overrules judgment. My brothers and sisters, what good is it if people say they have faith but do nothing to show it? Claiming to have faith can't save anyone, can it? Imagine a brother or sister who is naked and never has enough food to eat. What if one of you said, go in peace, stay warm, have a nice meal? What good is it if you don't actually give them what their body needs? In the same way, faith is dead when it doesn't result in faithful activity. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The Edison Middle School cafeteria was a typical middle school cafeteria, divided completely by status. The cool kids were in the center-left area, making sure that people could see who they were with. The band nerds stuck together and around the second table when you walked in. The normal people who didn't make quite a fuss kind of blended in on the right side. The gothic kids sat towards the left side. And in the very far-off corner of the cafeteria, kind of under this awning, pushed aside, sat a group of kids who didn't seem to fit in in any place at all. The kids learning English as a second language. Unlike the rest of us who came from three feeder elementary schools into Edison Middle School, these kids had gone to an elementary school on the other side of town. And then when they went into high school, they would go to the high school on the other side of town, not with all of us. I thought a lot about these peers of mine this week. I thought about what life had to be like as a middle schooler sitting in that corner of the cafeteria. Many of these kids were Hmong immigrants from the Laos area or Vietnam. Many of their families spoke little English. 
Here is what we did as middle school students to this group of kids. Nothing. We completely ignored them. I thought more about that lunch table this week than I thought about those kids during my entire middle school tenure. These kids were the overlooked ones. Befriend befriending them held no social promise. They didn't even register as cool or not cool. They were just other. It's easy to be harsh to our middle school selves looking back on them. I'd imagine all of us can be in some way. I was indeed implicit in this behavior of ignoring, but to be fair, so was my entire class of 250 students. We participated in a learned behavior, one we learned from our families of origin and one we learned by how the school system isolated these immigrant children. Implicitly, what I learned was this. Those kids are not as important as the other kids in my class. It's not important to become friends with them and learn about them because they will never have the same status as me. I knew this and understood this at 12 or 13 years old. So when James talks about showing the richly dressed person favor and ignoring the poor person who walks into the, the assembly, I am convicted. I'm convicted right back to my middle school self, seeing that in the cafeteria. And I'm convicted right up to the present day when I implicitly judge people who aren't like me. James reminds us today that God has an entirely different way of looking at the world than our typical standards. He is saying that we each need a conversion of our imagination so that we understand that the values of God's kingdom are upside down compared to our world's values. My dear brothers and sisters, listen, hasn't God chosen those who are poor by worldly standards to be rich in terms of faith? Hasn't God chosen the poor as heirs of the kingdom he has promised to those who love him? It's flipped. It's upside down. All throughout scripture, we see that God has a preferential option for the poor. God looks out for the orphans and widows in the laws of Israel. Ultimately, Jesus comes not into a wealthy situation, but is born in a circumstance of poverty and does not elevate himself above the lowliest of society. James knows this. Yet this Christian community that's only one generation removed from Jesus has already changed the way it operates. The church that James describes acted the opposite way of God's kingdom. They met as a faith community, but they acted according to the standards of their world, where the rich and powerful were shown honor in the hope of getting a benefaction from them, in the hope of getting special treatment. The problem with this behavior is that it dishonors the heart of what Jesus' faith is all about, loving your neighbor as yourself. When we pick and choose who we should love and favor people who seem to deserve our love, then we have missed the point entirely. James wasn't talking about a middle school lunchroom, but he may as well have been. James wasn't talking about a 21st century Protestant church, but he may as well have been. For we gravitate to churches and to communities that look like us. If a person showed up disheveled and looking homeless to our church, it would be very uncomfortable. People would let me know in disapproving side conversations that this type of person is here. But church, according to James, is supposed to be made up of folks like this. Luke Timothy Johnson, the scholar, chides, when the poor cannot find a place in a Christian church, that church no longer has any connection to Jesus. Yikes. 
During the summer of 2008, I served a church for my field education placement while at Duke. This church was a well-to-do church filled with upper-middle-class people. This was a church where folks who worked at the university rubbed shoulders with those who worked in state government. In many ways, I was comfortable in this type of church. These were the people whom I grew up with and whom I understood. One week that summer, I served at a church about six blocks away that this church had a long partnership in serving. The Mission Church, where I served, was the same denominational heritage, but located in a poorer neighborhood, did not have the well-appointed building, and focused almost solely on serving its homeless and poor neighbors. Do you want to know where my favorite week was that summer? The one where I felt closest to God's heart? It was there at the Mission Church. People there worshiped God openly. They did not have a need to hide their struggles, and the church practiced its faith through action. Homeless people served as ushers. A meal was shared at every opportunity. The kids were cared for in incredible ways. But this type of ministry could not happen in the nice church building. There were security concerns and a rapport to uphold. So the wealthy downtown church gave money and support to the mission church. I think James would tell us loud and clear this should not be. The mission church is the church. It needs to teach the other one what church is like. Like Luke Timothy Johnson says, when the poor cannot find a place in a Christian church, that church no longer has any connection to Jesus. After discussing how the church often favors the rich and ignores the poor, James brings it home when talking about faith and action. The message paraphrases it like this. Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? James goes on to show what outrageous nonsense looks like. A brother or sister, someone actually connected to the church community, is in need of clothing and food and runs into you on the street. And you say, have a nice day, be blessed, keep warm, and have a good meal, but don't provide anything for them. James asks, what good is it if you don't actually give them what their body needs? Once again, James is simple to understand. And because he's so simple, it's extremely convicting. In today's political climate, I find myself second-guessing speaking my convictions aloud, afraid that I might upset someone. But what I know is that God is on the side of the marginalized and oppressed. This core conviction of who God is on the side of is essential to how we live out our faith. When we as a church do nothing about our convictions, we are living faith without action. And such faith, James reminds us, is no faith at all. This is why the work we do as a church with Habitat for Humanity, with Oak City Cares, with Swift Creek Elementary matters so much. Are we solving the entire problem of poverty or injustice in our community? No, by no means. But we are doing something. We are helping a family get into a good and affordable home. They gain equity that could change their family's trajectory forever. That is good work. We go to Oak City Cares and feed a meal with a smile to people because God calls us to feed hungry people. Does that solve the problem of poverty and homelessness? No. But God calls us to share our bread with the hungry. And thankfully at Oak City Cares, there are other resources people may find and connect with that may lead them into housing and out of poverty. 
We serve at Swift Creek and beyond its walls because some families right now need some extra help. We provide food through the food pantry because children learn better when they are full. As we are able, we read and tutor and serve because those kids are our neighbors. Can we do more as a church? Absolutely. But these are some of the ways we embody faithful action now. You see, in the church, you can't be just a worship person or just a Bible study person. No, all of us are called to this work of mission and justice in our community and in our world. This is what church is all about. The local church, United Methodist Book of Discipline says, is the local mission outpost in the world. So every single one of us, by virtue of being baptized, is a mission person. I think that's what James is talking about and that I got annoyed with while in divinity school. People talking about faith over and over and over. The problem is that faith can then become all theoretical. It didn't result in faithful action. See, authenticity means that faith is more lived out than spoken. It means that faith is caught and not just taught. In the church, we've done a bad job with this throughout our history. We have thought that we could educate people into being Christians, and there's no problem with Bible study or sermons. But faith is mostly embodied. We see genuine faith lived out in the overabundant generosity of the community. We see it when we hear of a family that moves to the community and needs help, and people just descend and give help. I have a colleague in ministry who started a church about eight years ago. They don't have all of the structural committees that an established church or one in a mainline denomination has. They have checks and balances, but it's just not as complex. Anyway, his church felt compelled to respond to a refugee crisis earlier this year. So earlier in the year, they just did it. Their leadership got behind the effort, made connections with a family, and have raised over $20,000 for this family. They were already running with this project and supporting the family as two other well-established churches had to hold committee meetings to discern if this was the right thing to do. Meanwhile, people from this church are taking this family to appointments, helping them find housing, caring for their kids, and inviting them to family meals. In other words, faith with action. I pray that I will be a person who embodies my faith by what I do. I pray that you would be a person who embodies your faith by how you live. I pray that we would be a church who embodies our faith by how we love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.